Bud Light presents Real Men of Genius. Real Men of Genius. Today we salute you, Mr. Restroom Toilet Paper Refiller. Mr. Restroom Toilet Paper Refiller. Without your undying commitment, we might find ourselves trapped in a stall, armed only with our newspaper. Oh, I need you now. Like a brave soldier, you storm hostile territory, delivering much-needed supplies to your men. Should you leave one roll, or two, or perhaps that giant ten-pound super roll? While others rest, you can't, because somewhere there's a guy with his pants around his ankles, doing the bunny hop in search of a fresh roll. So crack open a nice, cold, fun life master of the men's room. Because if you don't do your business, we can't do ours. Bud Light beer and Isaac Bush singles. A three-way tie. Well, let's see what happens here. Way, way up. Good night for Cleveland. Tommy beats the Blue Jays with a 13-fitting home run to almost the deepest part of the ball park. There's a drive. It's oh, right. It is long gone. Cleveland wins again in the tenth inning on a home run by Jeff Tobey. One-one pitch. Hit to left field. Stay up and stay fair. Baseball gone. Jim Tobey with a three-run homer. And the Indians win it eight to five. Oh, what an exciting finish to this opening day, 1998. First home run of the season for Jim Tomey. And it couldn't have come at a better time for the drive. Wetlands 2-2 pitch. A swing and a drive! Deep right center! Away back! Goal! Oh boy, what a comeback. Oh, 
time he comes to the plate you just soak it in because you're watching a first ballot hall of famer and one of the greatest home run hitters of all time Slow-mo, welcome to my dojo, those other parts are so-so, I'm chill like pro, yo, focus like a GoPro, rip it up this promo, check out the scoreboard, preach up though with no knows it's going, it's going, it's going, yo, it's gone, your heart just stopped, cause Jake got strong and mighty, undefeated, I mean it, pull up the pod, scroll it down and read it, written, produced, directed, and mixed, dong on your lips and Ozzy Smith backflips, pick a tip, any tip, get onto it, I got ridiculous pods without forcing it, you sit at home crying like the girl while I spread the gospel around the world. Yo, the pods are written behind tracks that mixed in smooth with the groove to make ears wanna listen at a little cut and a rhythm to back it up. Another show to my name, now I'ma stack it up. You think another white rat bag, but this ain't no act jack. My hobbies to rhyme, some people trying to be black for back. About time I come out, call the show BKP and let me turn it out. Yo, name Jake the Snake, born in 71. Date, you know what time it is, I'm packing the guns. Your experience, I've been a witness to glory, and that's that's why I collect ball players and their stories. So, once again, back is the incredible, the pod animal, Jake the Snake Robinson, from the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. I'm coming out of Paulie's Island, South Kakalaki, half man, half podcast machine, back in the Captain Kirk chair, shields down, photons up. Prepare to engage on this week's digital audio program that I call Backwards K Pod, where we collect ball players and their stories. What's cracking, you cement freaks? What's good? Welcome back to the dojo this week for yet another dive into the history of the American national pastime, a sport whose tradition and history has literally been woven and stitched into the national DNA of our country and is now a true global phenomenon. You look at the greatest players in the game right now, they're literally from all over the planet. Hello, everybody. I'm Jake Robinson. Welcome back to BKP. Holler if you hear me. 
And I got to be honest, I know I'm a little late this week. It's been a tough week for me. And uh, I'm going to go into this show with a heavy heart. This is my first show without my usual co-host. I'm talking about my dog, Flower, of course, who died Saturday night. Some of you may not even know she was in the studio with me during the shows, but she never missed a one. If, if you listen close sometimes, you might hear her panting on a hot mic sometimes in the background. Sometimes she would uh, bark, and most of the time she would listen to my voice and literally rest her chin on my foot and fall asleep. And, you know, she's very special to me, and my world has become a little bit more lonely without her. Now, I'm not going to suck the life out of the audience with my personal problems, but... Today's show is dedicated to my dear old flower. I know it's stupid or whatever, but she would inspire me to keep talking. She had a way of looking at me and smiling, and you can tell she just loves hearing my voice and watching me get animated. So, this one's to you, flower. Okay. And there's no need for a lot of pregame chatter this week, I don't think. Uh, In the AL, Baltimore and Texas still hold slim leads over Tampa Bay and Houston, respectively. The Rangers are faltering a little bit here in the last couple of days. I think they're on a five-game losing streak. Uh, there's only 40 games or so left. Still plenty of time to see a complexion change there. Minnesota's on the precipice of running away with the AL Central on the strength of their pitching and, you know, a weak field. Seattle is smoking hot. They were smoking hot about a week ago. They stumbled versus the Orioles, and now they're hot again. And Julio Rodriguez is that dude. And I have to be honest. As I go to air, the Red Sox are only three games out in the wild card. That, that's incredible to me. I definitely did not see that at the beginning of the year. The Red Sox have been playing consistently good baseball the last couple weeks. In the NL, the Atlanta Braves are running laps around the East. And barring a major collapse, they will win the East and be prohibitive favorites to win it all. The Dodgers have complete control in the West. It's just a mess what's going on out there. I thought it never rains in Southern California. I mean, that's just crazy. The NL Central is still murky with plenty of time left. The more consistent Brewers holding a slight advantage over the streaky Northsiders and Reds. The NL wildcard pitcher is shaping up to be a real barn burner with Philly, Filthy holding a 2.5 game advantage for the top wildcard spot. And the Giants, Cubs, Snakes, Reds, and Fish all fighting it out for, that, for the remaining two spots. I think those four teams, San Francisco, Cubs, Cincy, Miami, uh, they need to play their best. The most consistent ball they played all year, they need to do that in this final third of the 2023 season. So, still a lot of baseball to be played, but tick-tock, we're headed into September. Now's the time to suck it up, control your own destiny. And, you know, the 2023 Major League Baseball season continues to roll on, and so does that BKP freight trade. I see the umpires ready to call ball, uh, play ball. The catcher has thrown a perfect strike to second base, and now the infield is tossing that pee around. So, if I can get all of you to hug and kiss your loved ones goodbye, let's clear this platform here at Terrapin Station. Load up that BKP time travel choo as I call all aboard. And folks, today we're going to traverse some time and space as I will be setting our time and destination for August 27th, 1970, Peoria, Illinois, as we will bear witness to the rise of one of baseball's most prodigious power hitters, Jim Tomey. And as we spend, uh, as we bend space and time to our will on our way to Peoria, Illinois in the 70s, I have to admit, I'm a huge Tomey fan. Not only the ball player, but as a man, he was always like this larger than life guy. The Paul Bunyan type with, you know, mythical strength. I'm always looking for his blue blue ox babe somewhere in the background. And in fact, sidebar folks, am I the only one who sees Mr. Incredible from The Incredibles when I look at Jim Tomey? I almost imagine him miserably selling insurance for an overbearing boss, longing for the days when he was obliterating orbs. You know, a real-life superhero. And... If you listen to that Tomei audio at the top of the show, you might be thinking to yourself, are, are these all walk home runs he's in? And the answer is yes. Tomei hit more walk-off dong than anyone in the history of baseball. Thirteen times in his career he came up and his team needed to win. 
And he descended it completely with one swing of the bat. He was truly Mr. Incredible for his baseball team. Think about that. 13 knockouts in the ninth inning. You got to say he's one of, you know, if you got two outs, who do you want it to play? My Jim told me. 13 walk-offs. On August 25th, 2011, Jim Tomey, now playing for the Twins of Minneapolis-St. Paul, he joined an elite fraternity of baseball sluggers when he dropped home run number 599 and 600 versus the Detroit Tigers at Comerica Park. At the time, he was the eighth player to reach that monumental mark, and he was the first player to hit 599 and 600 in the same game. And those fans out in right field, a souvenir. It's a left center and hit pretty well. Get this out of is here. back and this is number 599. Oh, there it is. Good call. That was my call. I said the right field, but it doesn't matter. It's a two-run home run for Jim Tomey. 599. Congratulations, Jim Tomey. Nice call, partner. Well, you know what you mentioned? He had two very good at-bats in his previous at-bats against Purcello. And here, good solid swing. The strength of Jim Tomey going into the Twins bullpen. Boy, I tell you what, I hope that happens for 600, too, into somebody's bullpen. Tomey trying to, in addition to everything else, drive in some runs here. Two and one. Deep to left field. This ball's high. It's deep. Number 600 for Jim Tony. Everybody out on the field. All the twins. Get out there. Welcome to the 600 Club. Very nice, Jim Tony. the baseball universe regard Tigers fans as, you know, a pretty knowledgeable bunch. And immediately they recognized the historical moment as it unfolded before them, and they showered Jim Tomei with a classy, thunderous applause, which, you know, it had to be tough on the Tigers fans as Tomei had made a career destroying Tigers pitching. I uh, made it look relatively easy throughout his 22 career. His 66 career dingers versus Detroit was the most against any club. Jim Tomey reached the 600 home run plateau in 8,167 at-bats, which is the second fastest to only Babe Ruth and 6,821 at-bats. And here we are, folks, pulling into Peoria, Illinois, 1970, where Chuck and Joyce Tomey have welcomed their son into the world, James Howard Tomey, who would be one of five siblings. His father, Chuck, worked as a foreman at Caterpillar Industries, and Joyce was a stay-at-home mom who made the growing Tomey family run properly. His father played fast with softball in a team sponsored by Caterpillar. His sister, Carolyn, played fast pitch as well, and she was actually inducted into the National Softball Hall of Fame in 1966. Jimmy's grandfather, Chuck Sr., played minor league ball in his prime, and he loved so pine how his father would always tell him the story about the time that Grandpa Chuck took Bob Beller downtown on a Midwest barnstorming tour back in the day. And growing up, Jim became a diehard Cubs fan. His favorite player was the one-dimensional power-hitting slugger, Dave Kingman, which, you know, he was a feast for famine type of batter, but... Jimmy loved to watch him feast, and he dreamed of one day hitting a ball that far. 
On one visit as a youngster, he was hell-bent on getting Kong's autograph. He attempts from the stands, uh, and that proves to be unsuccessful, so Jimmy hops the rail and saunters into the Cubs' dugout like he belongs or something, and catcher Barry Foote would ultimately return him to his father, Chuck. Jim was a two-sport star at Limestone High School in Bartonsville, which is a suburb of Peoria. He garnered all-state honors in both basketball and baseball. After high school, Tommy enrolls at uh, Illinois Central College, where he excels at both sports and the National Junior College Athletic Association names him an All-American in baseball. Cleveland Indian scout Tom uh, Kustens came across a tall, strong shortstop in a game in which he had actually come to scout a different player whose name still escapes him because Jim Tomey was all he could think about, and he was mesmerized by him. He watched the strapping lad take batting practice before the game, and he's literally hitting ropes all over the field. Kusin recalled how Jimmy may have went 1-for-4 and maybe even 0-for-4 that game, but everything he hit was squared-up missiles. The scout from day one marveled at Tomei's uh, quick hands and literally field, uh, feared he may kill a pitcher someday with a line drive back up the box. In fact, he thought to himself, I'm surprised it hasn't happened already. So while the 40 or so other scouts were lauding the play of the other guy, who again, the name he still can't remember, Tom Kustin asked the coach if he could get a word with Tomei. And this is how overlooked Tommy was that night. The team sent over the wrong kid at first to speak to Cousins. Unfortunately, the scout had to tell the young ball player, I don't want you, son. I'm looking for the guy who played shortstop tonight. Now, when Jim comes over to meet the scout, Cousins is trying his best to keep their conversation off the radar of all the other scouts in the clubhouse. Tom makes Jimmy stand back-to-back with him while they carried on this kind of clandestine conversation. Tommy keeps calling him sir, and every once in a while, he's turning around and looking him in the eye. No, 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 don't look at me. Look into the distance. Don't even acknowledge me. I'm a scout for the Cleveland Indians, Jimmy. You are something else, kid. Now, let me ask you a question. Now, keep looking forward, son. If we draft you, will you sign with us? Jim Tommy stood back-to-back with the scout and kept his gaze on the showers down the hall. And just like the scout had asked, he said, yes, sir. I sure will. So the Indians drafted him 13th round in the 1989 amateur free agent draft. And true to his word, Jim Tomey signed with the ball club immediately. He was assigned to the Indians rookie level golf coast league where he struggled that first campaign. And really showed no signs of being one of the preeminent power sluggers of the 90s and 2000s. After a rough showing during his rookie year of pro ball. Tommy would forge a relationship that would change the course of his baseball profile and trajectory. At the end of spring training, Jim is wondering if he made the right choice in choosing baseball as his profession as he is not formally assigned to a minor league team and he stays behind in Arizona for an extended spring training while waiting for Class A short season teams to start up. And... I've spoken, spoken before, C-Meds, about how the game almost has a mind of its own sometimes. Sometimes it pushes back, and, and it makes the timelines work. The game, for me, is almost like this living, breathing entity that makes sure that the greats get to where they're going. For example, Satchel Page learns how to play baseball in juvie. Raleigh Fingers was initially drafted as an outfielder. They pivot, make him a pitcher. He's not a great starter. Dick Williams make him a closer. And he sets the bar in this role. And the position has evolved since then after him. Derek Jeter was a Yankees fan all his life. And he winds up getting drafted by them and becoming the king of New York. What some people call coincidence, I, I call it this divine intervention of baseball. Do you actually think that Mike Trout versus Shohei Otani to end the WBC tournament was coincidental? I surely do not. We were destined for that matchup. It had to happen. The game pairs up Tomei with the Indians batting coach Charlie Manuel, who in 1990 was named the manager of the Triple uh, A affiliate Colorado Springs team. Manuel saw a player with limited success to this point, but he's big. 
He's got quick hands, and everything he hits is hard and on a line. With all those natural gifts at his disposal, Charlie also saw a young man who was not satisfied, was hungry to learn, and was constantly working on his swing and technique. Much like Tom Coustons, Charlie saw Jim as a true diamond in the rough, just waiting to shine with the work ethic to make that possible. A special bond of trust was established between the sensei and his student, as Charlie managed Jimmy for ports of three years during his rise on the farm. From 1991 to 1993, Tommy spent the beginning of the season on the farm, but he would make his way to the show for a cup of joe in each of those campaigns. He made his MLB debut on September 4th, 1991 at the Hubert Humphrey Metrodome versus the Twins. He played third base to a 2 for 4 at the dish with an RBI and a run scored. Besides his atrocious rookie year, Tommy demonstrated a high aptitude for adjusting and hitting and seemed to just soak in his lessons from his hitting guru, Charlie Manuel. After his first year, he hit well over 300 for the remainder of his minor league career. Charlotte, 1993, he clobbers 25 home runs, drives in 122, and he bats 332 on the year. And even though Manuel, uh, Manuel is pleased with Tommy's increased power production, he felt like the younger slugger, uh, hadn't even scratched the surface of his natural power. Charlie determined there is still power left on the table, and Jim was an exceptional young gap hitter with power to all fields. And he probably hit more opposite field home runs that year than of the pool variety. When Jim would pull the ball, he was hitting the ball hard, but it didn't have much lift. Not a lot of exit below there. Charlie Manuel, who himself had been a left-handed hitter back in the day, saw an opportunity to exploit the left-handed natural raw strength by tinkering with Tomei's mechanics and stance. One day, the boys in the clubhouse, they're watching the baseball classic, The Natural. Uh, in the movie, Roy Hobbs, played by Robert Redford, would point his bat out in the front of the plate and then bring it back to the set position. And Charlie sees this and thinks to himself, this approach may work for Tomei. So he opens Jim's stance to hammer the inner half pitch with his quick hands, and he want, you know with more power. And Charlie always cringed when he looked at early tape of Tommy without the open stance. He was tense at the plate. Uh, he was so tense that he had a bow in his back, and it made him look like a sideways V. Manuel wanted him to stand straight up, legs open, hold the bat straight up in front of him as he gets set, and slowly bring the back back. And take a deep breath. And the skipper's thinking was that. Toby's. Well he's got you know this natural power. He can naturally hit the ball the other way. He's such a big feller. He can still get to that fastball that's nine inches away. And anything lazy on the inside part of the dish. Or even fast. It's going to be melted with those quick hands and pull approach. When the 1994 season begins. The Indians and their young talent are enjoying a renaissance of sorts. As the tribe season begins in their new ballpark, Jacobs Field, on August 12th, the player strike wiped out their postseason dreams with Cleveland a mere game back on the Chicago White Sox in the AL Central. In 1994 and 95, Tomei is being used primarily as a third baseman who faces right-handed pitching. Uh, with expectations raised in 95, Jim hits 304, 18 home runs, 43 RBIs versus right-handers, and overall he finishes with a respectable 268 batting average, 20 doms, and 52 ribs. In 1995, the American League was literally ambushed and bludgeoned by the Indians. Uh, it was an offense that featured luminaries like Albert Bell, Manny Ramirez, Kenny Lawton, Paul Sorrento, Eddie Murray, and Tommy, of course. The Tribe decimated their junior circuit rivals, leading the AL with a 291 team batting average, and their team ERA of 3.83 was number one in the American League as well. On September 8, 1995, Jim Toby caught the final out to send the Tribe to their first postseason appearance since 1954. Cleveland sweeps Boston in the ALDS, and then they edge out the Mariners four games to two in the ALCS for a chance at the World Series title. Unfortunately, they would lose to the Braves uh, for the chip in six games, a series I've covered extensively in the 
Chipper Jones, Greg Mott, Maddox Bio, History of the Braves, as well as Jacob's Field Pod. All those are in the archives if you want to check them out. Tome himself was very productive on the big stage. He dropped four home runs with 10 RBIs in the post that year. In 96, the Indians again with the Central, uh, they win it with very little problem. Tommy hits 30 home runs, 116 RBI, which was second on the team behind only Albert Bell's 48 and 148. 48 and 148. Boy, oh boy. I mean, you know, Albert was a menace. Jimmy walked 123 times, had an OBP of 450. He was named the Sporting News best third baseman in the game, and he earned Sporting News All Star honors in 95 and 96. The tribe would be eliminated by the Orioles in the 1996 ALDS. Four games to one. Paul Sorrento left Cleveland after the 95 season, which opened a spot at their, uh, first base. They would sign Julio Franco to replace him, but the position became a black hole for the club that year as eight different ball players winded up starting there during the 96 season. In the offseason, after, after the loss to Baltimore, in the division series, Kim John Hart acquires third base with Matt Williams from the San Francisco Giants, and he moves Tommy to first base. Albert Bell left the club through free agency, and Kenny Lawton was moved to Atlanta for David Justice and Marquise Grissom. When the offseason dust had settled, the 1997 uh, team was much different than the AL pennant winning 95 team, but nevertheless, for the second time in three years, the Indians were again making a trip to the dance, this time to face the star-laden Florida Marlins, who would beat them Game 7 with a walk-off championship hit by Fish shortstop Edgar Renneria. And personally, it was a great year for Jim, who belts 40 home runs to lead the team. His 102 RBIs was second to only Williams. He also led the AL in walks with 120 and earned his first All-Star appearance. For the next few years, the Tribe would make returns back to the post, but they'd be eliminated in division rounds of 1999 and 2001, as well as the 1998 Championship Series versus the Yankees. Toby became the face of the franchise. He was dependable, hardworking, a blue-collar type the fans termed as a throwback. In 1998, he missed the final five weeks of play when he broke a bone in his left hand in a game against the Rays on August 7th. This at the start to the season, that still saw him hit 30 dongs and drive in 84 before that injury. At the completion of that season, Jimmy would tie the out with Andrea Pacioni on November 7th in Chicago. And they have two children, Landon and Leela. Over the next four seasons, 1999 to 2002, Tommy averages 42 home runs, 114 RBI a year. He hits the longest home run in Jacobs slash progressive field history when he launches a 3-1 fastball from Royals starting pitcher Don Wenkert. An estimated 511 feet. The ball hit a pillar to the right of the bleachers in center field. And then ricocheted through an iron rod fence and on to Eagle Avenue behind the park. And I had that call at the very top of the Jacobs Field Show. It's also worthy of watching. Go Google machine that shit. It's, you know, quite an incredible display of power. You gotta see it if you haven't seen it. Uh, Tomei broke the club record for home runs set by Albert Bell's 50 in 1995 when he hits 52 in 2002. That same year from June 25th to July 3rd, Jim hits a home run in seven straight games and he just missed tying the record eight straight games that was set by Dale Long, Don Mattingly, and Ken Griffey Jr. After the 2002 season was in the books, Tomei finds himself a 32-year-old free agent at the height of his powers and abilities. He's looking for a competitive team that will you know, offer him and his family some long-term security. And that offer would present itself in the form of the Philadelphia Phillies, who would sign the slugger to a six-year, $85 million deal. And, Freaks, I think this is where I'm going to post up like Moses Malone. Oh, head fake and one, baby. That's old school, kid. That's all day money, bruh. I'm going to replenish with some fluids, get my thoughts together, figure out my course of navigation through Tommy's final two acts of his baseball career, traverse our way back to Terrapin Station, and wrap this puppy up. BRB, Seamans, I'll see you on the other side of the break.
It's the Pod Squad, Gage Geen, executive producer of the Backwards K Pod. For the last few months, I've been telling you about our sponsor, Laparose Hand Clean, a powerful trifecta of products that eliminates fish, seafood, and bait odors, as well as the spices on your hands from steamed crabs and delicious crawfish boils. And now, this amazing grassroots company has added a buffalo wing hand clean. These are the only soaps and wipes on the planet specifically formulated to be used after eating spicy foods or after a long day of fishing. Not only does the fishing hand cleaner get rid of bait funk, a fish hand cleaner, wing hand cleaner, removes the spicy bugs around your mouth and on your hands. An ingenious invention by a retired Navy shipmate of Jake. So he is family, folks. And one thing we do at the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network is take care of family. Till the end of September... Laparose Hand Cleaner is offering all BKP listeners an amazing deal and hopes you give them a shot. It's a buy one, get one free deal, hot wing hand cleaner wipes, fishing hand cleaner wipes, or soap, seafood hand cleaners. Buy one, get one. We only advertise products on Backwards K Pod that Jake and I believe in and use personally. After ripping up the golf course and watching football, there's nothing I love more than throwing some bait in the water and cracking a cold bud head. You can check out these amazing products by going to crawfishhandcleaner.com or you can call the home offices at 713-588-0290. To get that BOGO deal, please use the code SUMMER23. For your fishing vacation you're planning or the shellfish buffalo wing feast you're preparing, Get yourself this groundbreaking product to protect you from smelling spicy hands. That's crawfishhandcleaner.com or call 713-588-0290. For the buy one get one deal, use promo code SUMMER23. Fishing along the bank of your favorite river and listening to BKP sounds like a great idea. In fact, hey mom, where are my poles at? I'm gone fishing. Uh, I told it. I told her that my my Hall of Fame uh, induction is really the first time I got really introduced to Jim Tomei. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, us and Charlotte, we did not like each other. Uh, they were good. We were good. We were really young, and they had a a bunch of uh, you know older guys who were kind of on the way back down from from you know their their major league careers mm-hmm. and boy they did not like us and we had some some Donnie Brooks with them. But yes, uh Klesko hit a hit a home run early in the game off uh oh what was that pitcher's name? He was the stunt double for Kevin Costner and for love of the game. Uh he's a he's a he's a pitching coach. He's a he's a pitching coach now. I wanna say maybe in, in Kansas City. I can't think of his name. Anyway Klesko hits a home run off him and, like, you know, grunts and does the whirly bird and throws his bat. And um, we're, we're thumping him pretty good uh, at our place. So Charlie Manuel was the manager for uh, Charlotte, and uh, he brings Bill Wirtz in, his closer, in the eight. And they're down, like, nine to three. And I was like, I was like, what the heck's all this all about? Keith Mitchell's sitting next to me, Kevin Mitchell's cousin, who's just as militant as, as Kevin. <laughs> he goes, they about to, they about to send a message to Oclesco right here. First pitch, first pitch is behind Klesko. We clear, nothing really happens. A lot of, you know, John and whatnot. Well, we get back, we get back in the dugout. The next pitch is right down the middle and Klesko flings the bat like goes to swing at at you know the pitch and flings the bat directly at works <laughs> well the bat bat lands out near second base all right you can't do that if you're trying to hit the ball he was trying to helicopter that bat at works so here we go again right well it spills out over into the backstop they got they got stinking Tommy, Manny, they got big Sam Horn, they've got Alan Cockrell, uh, 
Bo Allred. They got some football boys, you know, on their on their team. Well, I go diving into the pile, and the next thing I know, my face is pressed up against the backstop netting, and this this guy has me by the throat. I can't even see who it is, and uh, he whispers in my ear. He says, "You done?" And I know it appears so. <laughs> and now that was Jim Tomei grabbing me by the neck. And, and uh, the funniest thing about it was my parents were in the third row. Okay? Yeah. Sitting in the third row watching all this. And I look at my mom, and if you could have seen the look of horror on my mom's face, it was, it was, it was priceless. But I told that story. You know, a, a bunch of times as we were coming down towards the, 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 you know, the, the, in, towards the Hall of Fame induction and Jim remembered it. He was like, yeah, that's absolutely true. <laughs> talking about Jim Tomey, my homie Jim Tomey, don't you know me, grew up in Peoria, Illinois, was a two-sport star in high school, basketball and football, goes on to uh, Central Illinois Junior College, he's discovered there by Tim Houston's, a scout for the Indians, and they secretly have an agreement where if the Indians draft him, He's going to sign, and he does, and he struggles out the gate as a rookie. Thankfully, he meets Charlie Manuel along the way. After watching The Natural, they tinker with his stance, and this dude takes off like a rocket. Uh, he gets up to the big club for good at 94, but the, it's a strike short season. The Indians are coming on. 95, they got an incredible roster of, you know, just dynamic bats, and Tommy's one of them, and they pretty much run through the league, they fall up short to the Braves in the World Series, they would uh, get rid of a lot of those core guys, come back in 98, go to the World Series once again, and lose to the Florida Marlins in a Game 7 walk-off by Edgar Renneria. Uh He stayed with the club for a little bit after that, and then finally he enters his free agent year. And the Philadelphia Phillies are looking at him, and they signed him to a six-year, $85 million deal in 2003. And he made an immediate impression on Phil's manager, Larry Boa, an old-school kind of throwback manager and player on the Phillies during the 70s. The two, the team's new first baseman club, uh, 47 home runs to lead all of the NL in 2003, and his 131 RBIs was third in the league. His 47 home runs was one short of the Phillies season mark set by Michael Jack Schmidt and his 48 in 1980. All of his numbers were for naught as Philly could never catch their rival Braves that year. Bowen would be replaced with Charlie Manuel, but the Toby Manuel reunion was short-lived. Jim would suffer through back and elbow injuries, which would limit him to 59 games in 2005. And with the emergence of filthy phenom first base from Ryan Howard, who won Rookie of the Year honors at first in Tommy Steed, the Phils traded Jim to the White Sox for outfielder Aaron Rowan and pitcher Gio Gonzalez. 
Internally, at this time, Tomei's going through it a little bit. He lost his mother, Joyce, back in December to lung cancer, and it hit Jim Hart, of course. He had such high hopes and building playing for a team that was on the rise between the nagging injuries, his mother's death, and rookie first baseman in weight, Ryan Howard coming in like a tank. Jimmy could see the writing on the wall for his time in Filthy, and he contemplated his baseball future in his mid-30s. The trade to South Chicago was a blessing. The White Sox were the defending champions, and he and his wife, Andrea, saw this as, again, divine intervention by his fallen mom's behalf as he returns home to play. He bolstered a lineup that had good power before he arrived in. Uh, you know, they had Joe Creed, Jermaine Dye, Paul Caderco. And with his age and size, not to mention you got Paulie at first already, Tomei was penciled in as the everyday DH by manager Ozzie Gian. In essence, Jimmy was replacing Frank Thomas at first, who had left for uh, Oakland by free agency. The future Hall of Famer who had, you know, in later years with the White Sox became a DH. He is the all-time White Sox home run leader. And Jim, uh, and like Frank, the two of them, they both struggled with injuries in 2005. The move pays off for Jim and the club as Tomei pounds out 42 home runs. He drives in 109, draws 107 walks, and bats 288. It would be the ninth time in 11 years that he would bang out at least 30 home runs, 100 RBIs, and 100 walks. The only time he did not accomplish that feat was because injuries derailed him of the opportunity. He was named Comeback Player of the Year by both Major League Baseball and the Sporting News. On September 16, 2007, with the score tied at 7 in the bottom of the ninth versus the Anaheim Angels at Guaranteed Rate Park, Jim Tomey absolutely melts a Dustin Mosley fastball for a home run number 500. A walk-off dong to the thrill of the White Sox fans. It was Tomey's 500 blast, and it happened in the 2000th game of his career. He was the 23rd player in the game's history to reach the 500 uh, plateau, and the first to do it in walk-off fashion. Three days later, Jim and his father Chuck made the 14-hour drive together from Peoria to Cooperstown, New York to deliver the home run ball to the National Baseball Hall of Fame. And what I wouldn't give to be a fly on the wall during that car ride, right? I promise you, there's a beautiful story right there. If I ever ever interview Jim, I have to remember to ask him about that car ride with his father. It was the first time for a father and, father and son to walk the holy grounds of the complex and see the different exhibits as Jimmy's only trip to Cooperstown before had really been, you know, for exhibition games. After falling shy of the playoffs in 08, the Sox rebounded 09 and win the Central by a game over Minnesota. But the 09 Sox would fall to Tampa Bay in the ALDS in four games. August 31st, 2009, Tommy is dealt to the Dodgers. With no DH in the NL, Jim was used solely as a pinch hitter. And sidebar, folks, I told you this before in the Maddox file, how my baseball brain has zero recollection of Greg Maddox ending his career with the Dodgers. Well, for the life of me, I do not remember Tommy as a Dodger. I don't know. There must be some sort of block in my brain when these veteran Hall of Famers on their last legs go there. I'm just literally drawing a blank on Jim as a Dodger. I saw him in the blue on Google, and it just looks so weird. After the 2009 season, Jim signs with the Twins as a free agent. He was used as a DH and a left-handed pinch hitter for Ron Gardenhire's lineup, and in a limited use, he still matches out 25 dongs with a two eighty three average. The Twins win the Central, but get swept by the Yankees in the first round. Tommy was traded back to the Tribe on August 25th, 2011, for a player to be named, and it was, you know, like this symbolic move as Tommy had hit his 600 dong just 10 days earlier. There was certainly symbolism involved, but the Indians also had a need for Tomei's services as Travis Hafner, the team's DH, was out for the season with injuries, and Jim does fill that void. In the last home game of the season, September 25th, 2011, the Indians inserted Tomei, uh, Tomei at third base for one final play as he bades farewell to his loyal Cleveland fans.
He was signed with Charlie Manuel and the Phillies in 2012 and is used mostly as a pinch hitter and DH in interleague games. On June 12, 2012 versus Toronto at the Rogers Center, Toby hits his fourth home run of the season. And with that blast, Jimmy became only the fourth player ever after Alex Rodriguez, Reggie Jackson, and Daryl Evans to hit 100 home runs for three different clubs. Tommy would hit 337 home runs playing for the Tribe, 134 for the Southsiders, and 101 for Filthy. Not long after that, Tommy was on the move again. This time, he ends up in the charm playing for the Orioles, who traded two minor leaguers to obtain its services on June 30th. The Orioles won the wild card game versus Texas, but would fall to the Yankees in the ALDS in five games. Even though he would not officially retire for two more years, Toby's playing career was over. On August 2nd, 2014, the Cleveland Indians unveiled a statue inside of Jacobs Field to commemorate and immortalize the franchise home run leader. Of course, the pose is, you know, Jimmy with his bat extended out in front of him, just as his mentor, Charlie Manuel, had taught him over 20 years before. And before the unveiling ceremony, Jim signed a one-day contract with the club so he could officially retire as an Indian. As of 2016, Tommy was a special assistant to the White Sox GM Rick Hahn. Jim has aspirations of managing a club one day. He joined the MLB Network as a studio analyst. And I love the work he does there, especially when he's in the Studio 42, doling out those tips on how to hit. In 2018, Jim Tommy is elected inducted to the National Baseball Hall of Fame, becoming only the second player in franchise history after Bob Feller to be enshrined after only one year on the ballot. And folks, I think that's where I'm going to wrap it up this week. I never really got a chance to see Harmon Killebrew swing it, you know, except on like these old home run derby TV shows and some YouTube here and there. But I kind of have always pictured him and the Tommy Vane during his career. I, I did find it ironic that Jimmy wrote the forward in the 2012 biography for Killebrew, and in the forward, he draws parallels between himself and Harmon. So, maybe, if you're feeling all, you know, sabermetric and nerdy, why don't you compare those two? Before I bounce out of here like a bad check, let's take a look at that, oh, so lovely, Hall of Fame stats that big donkey Jim Tomei brought to the table. Okay, what do we got here? James Howard Tomei. Born August 27, 1970. Peora, Illinois. So, in less than a week, Jimbo here, he's going to be turning 53 years old. Drafted by the Indians in the 13th round. Out of Illinois Central College. 22-year MLB career with the Tribe. Filthy Southsiders. Twins, Dodgers, and Oreos. 73.1 wins above replacements. 2,534 games played. 10,313 plate appearances. 1,583 runs. 2,328 hits. 451 doubles. 26 triples. 612 home runs, which is the 8th most in baseball history. And currently, he is wedged in between Ken Griffey Jr. and Sammy Sosa. 1,699 RBI, 19 stolen bases, 20 times caught, which who the hell is sending Tomei 39 times to steal a base? I mean, you must not value your outs very much. His 1,747 walks, it ranks as the seventh most in MLB history, and he sits between Carl Yastrzemski and Mickey Mantle. He finished with a 276, 402, 554 slash. That's right. A 402 OBP, folks. 57th best in baseball history. A 956 OPS. And a 147 OPS plus. His 4,667 total bases. is the 42nd most in the game's history. And he sits between two more Hall of Famers. And Harold Baines and Al Simmons. Five-time All-Star. 2002 Roberto Clemente Award winner for recognition of his work in the community. 1996 Silver Slugger Award, 2001 July Player of the Month, 2003 September Player of the Month, 2004 June Player of the Month, and 2018 
Jim Tomei receives 378 of 422 possible votes to be inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame with 89.8% of the votes on his first ballot. And let's not forget those 13 walk-off dogs, baby. Walk it out, brother. 13 times this guy came up in the ninth inning and knocked the pitcher out. Unbelievable. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, seam heads of all ages. This is the story of Jim Tomei. And I already told you to compare him to Harmon Killebrew if you get a chance. I would also add Sammy Sosa and Frank Thomas to that list as well for players to compare to that big donkey right there. And I'm ready to get this BKP time. How about Juju back to Terrapin Station? I want to thank all of you for stopping by this week, freaks. Uh, I feel a little better doing the show. I'm good to be around you guys. I hope you enjoy the story as much as I enjoy delivering it. And I'll try to be much better next week. I will never charge you cements for the baseball content here at BKP. No Patreon, no Twitch, no pay-to-play subscriptions. I'm on a mission from God. That's to deliver the gospel of baseball around the world. And I'm just going to keep coming through every Tuesday with that free baseball smoke. You don't want that smoke. And I'm going to keep it consistent like Bryce Harper, baby. And with the Jim Tomey story getting smaller and smaller in my rearview mirror, I now turn my steely eye focus back onto I Never Say Die Baseball Hydra. I draw my katana blade and I chop. The head off that beast, only to see two more baseball topics appear in its place. Our next topic, we're going back to the one who started it all. The Jackie Robinson of his people. The one. I'm talking Hideo Nomo, baby. And nowadays, there, there are many Japanese ballplayers getting after it in the majors. But next week, we're going to recognize the first one to take on the challenge of Major League Baseball. And by doing so, he opened the door for Japanese players who also want to test their medal against the best players in the world. Mr. Hideo Nomo. Of course, I'm very excited to do this show and present it to you in my own little way. If you guys find yourself in Denver doing a little skiing, vacation time, do yourself a favor. You won't regret it. Check out my boys Danny and Bruce out there at the National Ballpark Museum on Blake Street. That's just a long fly ball from Coors Field. Catch yourself a Ross game and then swing on over to the museum. They have some amazing items on display uh, from ballparks of the past. And it's an amazing time portal. And my dudes there, they would love to show you around and answer all your questions. And they also play BKP over the speakers as you walk around doing your research. So, winner, winner, chicken dinner. That's the National Ballpark Museum on Blake Street in Denver. I want to thank Danny and Bruce for all the love. You got something you want to say to me? Good, bad, different? I know to find. The show email is backwardskpod at gmail.com. You can find us at xcore at back underscore k underscore podcast. My personal handle is at jrobbie1. That's J-R-O-B-B-I-E and the number one. We have a YouTube channel that's called simply uh, backwardskpod. But the place I'm most likely to be in is at the private Facebook group page, the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. Answer those questions so I know you see meds uh, are for real and not a Russian bot. Come on in and join the chaos. Please remember to listen and share with all your CMED buddies. And don't forget those rates and reviews, which no one ever seems to do anyway. I used to tell you guys it helps me feed the, ball, the dog, but, you know, flower's gone now. I couldn't get enough reviews and, you know, I couldn't feed her. So thanks, guys. Nah, what, what, what? It's so easy. Push five stars. Two words. Great job. Please help me with those freaks. All right. Well, this week sucks, but I gave you what I got. You know, hopefully I came through like Brett Favre against the Raiders on a Monday Night Football. Thank you for joining me. And I can't wait to bring you the NOMO show next week. Parents, if you see your kids sitting on the couch with their nose in the phone like a board AF, by all means, take those little monkeys outside and play a game of catch. Thank y'all for coming out. God bless and win the day. And like Shay Hillebrand told me in our one-on-one smart session in the dojo last year, 
You go to hell, Lady Pettit. See you next week, freaks, with the no-mo bio. Peace. I love you, flower.